I am really passionate about taking care of unhoused folks. Um, in the same way that I'm passionate about taking care of everybody, I think is really what's different about me. I, I think it's funny that you say you have a lot of feelings about homelessness, but what I, my feelings on homelessness is that they're people too. And so I don't like to put this divide between housed people and unhoused people. Hello and welcome to Here in L.A., Van Nuys edition. Today we talk to Antoinette Scully, who is looking to be the newest member of the LA City Council, good old CD6. The seat was vacated when Council President Nuri Martinez resigned after a meeting she had with other members was secretly recorded and then leaked, exposing racist remarks. Antoinette wants to fill that seat. She's an activist, a mother, a lover of books, an apartment dweller, and she even has two bikes hanging from the wall of her pad. Rarely do we feature politicians here, but when Catherine from our Chatsworth episode recommended her, I said fine, because very few people know LA politics as well as Catherine does, and just like so many of our other recommendations, Antoinette was lovely. You'll see. So come with me now to Van Nuys to meet Antoinette Scully. Hey, everybody. I am here with Antoinette Scully in Van Nuys. Hi, how's it going? Hey! <laughs> We're in your apartment, which is fantastic. This is this is my ideal way to interview people in the comfort of their own home. Thank you. In a part, in a way, because it's it's always nice to see people's houses, and everybody's different, and everybody's a reflection of what's in their house. I see a beautiful Black Lives Matter flag over here. What do you call this one? Is this the... This is a progress flag. Progress flag. Yes. So it is. it takes the traditional rainbow flag. And I, I want to say this is from the early or like the mid-2000s. Um, it takes the traditional rainbow flag and then it adds a black stripe for black people. It adds a brown stripe for brown people, and then it has a blue, pink, and white stripe to indicate trans people. I love it. I love it. Progress flag. Yes. See, a lot of people think that I do this podcast to teach the world. This is all about me. <laughs> I learn every time that I do one of these episodes, I'm learning something. And so that's a progress flag. Awesome. This will be part of the blog post then. I also see a lot of books, but it seems like some of them are kids' books. Yeah. So, I mean, not only do I have kids, but I used to review books. Um, and I think that you can learn just as much from a kid's book as from a, quote, adult book. Mm -hmm. If you want to learn a new thing, start with children's books. Because the writer had to really boil it down and make it easy? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to learn any new concept, if you start, um, not even at, like picture books, but I do, I have like a picture book about the Quran and, um, but I always say like, start with the middle grade books yeah. because if you want to teach a kid that's in middle school that like, um, 11, 12 to 13 to 15 age range, you really have to boil it down for them to understand it and then be able to act on that new information. Mm -hmm. So I really love middle grade books. I'm hearing an accent. Where are you from, Antoinette? <laughs> um, I grew up in a small town called Eatonville, Florida, and it's about 15 miles north of downtown Orlando. Oh. Yeah. So 
I, I really lo- I love this. I am from the first black municipality in America. It was it was established in 1887. Um, it is not the first freedom town, right? There were other all black towns before this, but it was the first one to to gain township. Um, I grew up with black mayors and really? city um, representation. Yeah, so I moved to LA in late 2008. Not all that long ago. I mean, what, it's like... I mean, Obama 15, was president. Yeah, yeah, right after the president. <laughs> what, uh, what brought you out here? Um, at the time, it was to start a family. Uh, the person I was dating had gotten a, had a, came into the industry here, in the entertainment industry, and proposed to me. And so <laughs> I moved across the country, 3,000 miles, to get married and start a family. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I've stayed. I mean, I, I love living in L.A. <laughs> I love it here. That's so good to hear. Uh, did you guys move to the valley right away? Yes, I have almost always lived in the valley the whole time. I had a, like a few months stint in Santa Monica, a few months stint in Glendale, but for the most part, I've lived in the valley, in and around Van Nuys, Sherman Oaks. So one of the reasons we're talking to you specifically today is you're running for city council. Yes, CD six. Yes. So you're re- you're. There's a vacancy because Nuri Martinez, who was the L.A. City Council president, resigned um, kind of in shame. But also she did the right thing by resigning because she messed up. Yeah. She, <laughs> she messed a, up and there was a secret recording. She took accountability. Right. Which I, which I don't think a lot of people give her credit for. But I will say that if you have to take accountability on hateful language, like, yes. Mm-hmm. Move out of the way. And we, we say that because there is a council person, Kevin DeLeon, who refuses to take real accountability for it. And he's just kind of waiting for the end of his term where he's going to get slaughtered in the election if he actually does run. Um, I don't think he would run again, right? Like, I, did, I would have thought he would have quit once the president <laughs> of the United States told him to quit. Didn't the governor also tell him to quit, too? I think everybody... This became a national story. So I, I don't know anybody who was like, oh, I don't know, maybe he should just hang out a little bit longer. Like, I think that nationally across social media, I, I remember, oh my God, this is the funny thing. I remember him being on CNN and like explicitly being like, this is not me. I don't know what y'all are talking about. And then like behind him, like literally is a video of him pushing an activist. <laughs> With a Santa hat on. With a Santa hat on. <laughs> so he's like, they're pointing to the video right behind him. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. This can't possibly be me. Um, I I thought that would be the moment. I thought that, that was the end. And obviously, we're still here. But it, but it feels like there's not rules in place yet. Just like when we had our last sheriff. Obviously, somebody who should not be the sheriff of L.A. Yes. And yet, there was no way to kick him out. But over time, the uh, the supervisors figured out, okay, let's change the rules because who knew that we were going to have this kind of a man as sheriff. So we needed a way to hit a panic button. And there doesn't seem to be one for city council. Yeah. I mean, 
I think about it in this way is that the city is so um, compartmentalized, right? And I think at the start of that, it was, oh, so that nobody holds too much power, right? We're all buddies. And so if you're in that office and I'm over there with the supervisors or I'm on the Metro board, right? We're all, we're all just going to work together and do it. And as our city has grown and as the hoarding of power has continued. Mm-hmm. People are like, well, I just don't, I don't have to leave. I can keep this job. You can't get rid of me, mm-hmm. right? We're so far away from the origins of why LA City was even enacted. And so we don't have any structure in place for it. Right. Right. If you win this seat, will you try to put structure in there so that if I would I, right. so that's a difference right like I I've been I haven't been too explicit about it but I don't see myself as a politician and so for me I'm an activist running for office mm-hmm. and so I don't want more power hmm. a lot of the work that politicians do right is to keep the power they have or to hoard new power so they don't mm-hmm pick a, a definite side sometimes or they kind of skirt around their real answers. And for me, I think it's really important to be authentic and genuine and to say that I'm not here to hoard power. I want this seat to give the power back to the people who are the constituents. Which sounds great. However, to a city council person, I think lords over like 200,000 people. More, yeah. Even more than that. Yeah. And so there are some proposals out there. I mean, I don't know if they're official proposals, but to expand the city council from, is it 12 now? It's 15. 15. And then, yes, I think that would be a great, I think that would be to like a 40. way. They wanted to, the, the proposal is like 40 because then it's far more manageable and it's closer to Chicago and New York. Yeah. Where their council people have, they can actually specify. I mean, you can okay, go. So CD6. <laughs> From where to where does CD6 go? So CD6 encompasses all of Lake Balboa, parts of Van Nuys, um, a tiny sliver of North Hollywood, parts of Sun Valley, Arlita, Panorama City, North Hills. Okay. But what you find is that, so like Van Nuys, right, is split between two districts. Crazy. Uh, Sun Valley is split between two districts. Also crazy. And so you could have the same zip code as somebody (laughs) and be in a completely different district. Mm -hmm. Um, And the needs of each neighborhood are so different. The needs of what people want or even care about in Lake Balboa are so different than what people need or care about in Sun Valley Mm -hmm. because of the way that we've we've not taken care of constituents. Mm -hmm. So you'll talk to someone in Lake Balboa who's like, oh, I really wish we were doing more to keep the tree cover um, cut down or that we could, you know, make sure that the Sepulveda Basin doesn't get bulldozed. And then you'll have someone in Sun Valley who's like, could we just have storm drains? (laughs) Because they were hit by major floods on that first storm. I mean, every time it storms. I was mm-hmm. I was just in Panorama City last week, and it's the same thing. Panorama City, North Hills are lacking in storm drains, so you are driving through rivers to mm-hmm. get around. And I, and that's, I get it, why the, the city shuts down, because in some parts of the city, you just can't get around. You're standing in ankle-deep water. People's mm-hmm. houses are flooding constantly. Um, and so there is this need of services and care throughout the district 
And we've been focusing a lot on like the resources that like say Sun Valley or Panorama City needs. And I think that people in Lake Balboa feel left out, but also how do we manage all of these concerns of almost 300,000 constituents? And it's also kind of crazy for one city council person to have to deal with all of that. Yeah. I mean, but I think it goes back to what you're talking about with power. Most politicians want as much power as they can. And so they want this huge uh, uh, district. And I think what happens is, like you pointed out, the people the people are usually left out. Because a person only has so many hours in the day. Your staff is only so large. Yeah. So probably you're only just putting out fires most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, with LA where you have like one of the largest um, population of unhoused folks where our city itself is so spread out, mm-hmm. right? It's a 20 year, th- it could be a 30 minute drive depending on what time it is from my place on the one edge of the district to Sun Valley or Lita on the other edge of the district. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, trying to just get around from place to place is difficult. Yeah, um, And I think that some people think that the neighborhood council system was that intermediary, mm-hmm. right? Like every neighborhood has a neighborhood council, but even getting to all of those on a good schedule and being able to show up or send someone to each of those it is difficult. Yeah. Do they, um, are they okay if you zoomed in or do they consider that a diss? Right now, many neighborhood councils are still only on Zoom. Great. Not all of them. I think that some are going to only in person, which is which is terrible because that's a disability concern for it me. It is. Um, but I, I think that they should be hybrid, and I think you should be able to zoom in. But many of them are still only on Zoom. Let's, uh, even though I don't really want to, <laughs> homelessness is a big deal for you. Yes. I don't want to because I'm exhausted, and I don't see a lot of progress. And I also see people like, it, it, hurts, it hurts me when... Young, and, and I, I consider you very young, um, when young politicians make it into office, like my guy, Hugo, and don't take down the fence. Like, this is kind of why he won, oh. was that fence, and he won't take it down, and it's like, wow, in months, you turn into the old guy? It sounds like you're going to uh, make an excuse for him. I don't know. <laughs> Please I don't know. No, I don't know. Because I want to feel good about Hugo, and I'm having a hard time. Um, I think that the piece of campaigning and then the actual job that we're asked to do is so far that connecting that bridge takes some time. Okay. And how long? How many months has it been since the election? Three, five. Well, like, okay, okay, but but again, you're an activist. Yes. You're punk rock. I, I mean, I want things immediately. Right. <laughs> but I know that public, like I, city I, council takes years. So, th- But but the, the kids ripped down that fence once he got elected and they he put did. it back up. They did. That's not punk rock. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Now, now, granted, he's got to now be a different person. Like what I think you're saying. Candidate Hugo is different than city council person Hugo. Is that what you're saying? Yes. And you have to kind of be an adult. Well, I mean, so 
candidate Hugo and even like candidate Antoinette, right? Like mm -hmm. there are certain people who are going to vote you in that are going to be like this, that you're, I'm down for you. We're doing it. I've been telling people this whole time, like I'm someone's particular type of candidate. Yes. Right. But then council person has to be everyone's council person. Very good. And so I can see how there might be a disconnect between who you had to be to get elected and who you have to be to get the job done. Um, mm -hmm. Which is good because our last president that we didn't like didn't do that. He was not the president for everybody. Right. And we don't want that again, right? We don't want that again. So, so I hear your point. On the fence in particular, not like, I don't live over there. I don't. <laughs> I was mad when the fence went up. Yep. I remember watching all the video mm -hmm. of the police and and how many activists and comrades were were harmed just in the whole thing. And journalists I, too. Journalists, um, unhoused folks, and I am. I am really passionate about taking care of unhoused folks. Um, in the same way that I'm passionate about taking care of everybody, I think mm -hmm. is really what's different about me. I, I think it's funny that you say you have a lot of feelings about homelessness, but what I, my feelings on homelessness is that they're people too. Yes. And so I don't like to put this divide between housed people and unhoused people. It's really you, the you truly are punk rock and you're, you're living <laughs> up to that flag behind you. You are super inclusive and that's great. We need more of that. And uh, and again, I think that that comes from a younger generation. Are you millennial? I am. Yes. I'm 38. I think that comes from the millennials. Well, I mean, I, the verbiage, all of that stuff. So I graduated from college in 08, like right as the recession was happening. And then they were like, go back to college and get a master's degree. So I did that. And then the job still didn't come the wages were still stagnant mm -hmm. um i have two kids now and so i'm of the generation where they were like you have to do everything right like you just here are all the steps to doing the right things go to the good schools um start a family you'll be able to buy like i'm never going to be able to buy a house so it's just like all of these things that were put in place didn't actually pan out for people like me mm -hmm. and i look at it as in like um I'm here in the same reality as a whole bunch of people who also didn't make it, right? So mm -hmm. for me, the idea that somehow we're separated, that we should be separated by class and race is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And so I try to, as often as I can, remind people that there's there really doesn't need to be the separation. And the separation is the way that the privileged rich class keeps us <laughs> from getting what we deserve or just being treated like people like what like you just just look other people in the eye sometimes i don't know Let's talk about homelessness more. Okay. <laughs> we have a black mayor. We a do. black female mayor. We do. Who is up against it already? 
she's being criticized by how she's handling the homelessness. Um, what's her her program called right now? It's called Inside Safe. Mm-hmm. Are you a fan of Inside Safe? I'm gonna put you on the spot. You're gonna put me on the spot. I have I have not been hearing great things about Inside Safe, and I think it comes to being rushed. I think it comes into uh, hiring service providers who aren't already doing that kind of service. Um, how, about, it, how about the chief of police being involved? That's unnecessary. Right. And, and this is something I really do rail against. I don't think that homelessness is a criminal justice issue. And so I don't ever think that police should be involved. Well, also, they haven't shown that they know how to do it. Because <laughs> I agree with you. But if somehow they are the secret weapon, fine. Let's use them. But, but they're the opposite, it seems to me, in L.A. We would have known that. We would have known that a year or two ago when they enacted 4118 if the police were the secret weapon to ending homelessness. <laughs> and the other part that I think that we're not doing enough, and we're, we're doing it through the activists who are, who are supporting people, but we're not asking unhoused folks what they need and what kind of services would best meet their needs. Mm-hmm. We're just creating programs without their understanding or without their input and then we're mad that they don't want this thing that really helps housed folks or just makes the streets, quote, more beautiful, end quote, right? So, like, so for me, Inside Safe feels like more sweeps without actually solid housing and resources. Uh, recently, I heard that... Some of these people have been moved from one location to another, to another, to another. Which, to your point about rushed, it seems rushed. It seems like there wasn't a set plan. There wasn't an agreement with these motels or... Some places don't have food or bedding. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm getting a little bits of pieces here and there from other activists and from other articles that are out. But it does feel like we have service providers that have been doing this. And instead of giving them money to do it, we gave other people money I, I don't know. Like, I, I'm not convinced that Inside Safe is doing what it's supposed to be doing. Should the mayor be reaching out to you for advice? <laughs> Personally? Yes. <laughs> I will say that my work in homelessness is still newer than many other people who've been doing this in the city for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I continue to learn from other people who've been doing this. I fell into it in 2020. I was one of the crazy people that... Um, when everybody was running inside, I was like, oh, let's, I will go outside and, and help as much as I can. I was, how can I help? Um, and what that ended up being was working with a homelessness service provider um, that wanted to replicate their system from North Hollywood to Studio City. And I was like, I could do that. Do you want to give them a shout out? Uh, it was NoHo Home Alliance. Okay. And I loved their work. And their work is not just we're the service provider, we know everything. It's that we have people who volunteer, we have staff people who are well are well and knowledgeable, and then we also have community members who plug in with staff to help get things done. And that was one of the things that we that I think really changes the model mm-hmm. is that if you have someone who's living on the street and they happen to see the same neighbor all the time and they need support, that neighbor can plug into a service provider to say, hey, 
I know that my unhoused friend doesn't have a phone. You can call me and I can walk over to them and help them get the thing that they need. Or I can reconnect you or I can make sure they make it to a resource center. Right. There were, that was the thing. And I feel like that changed the lives of so many people mm. because you didn't have to be a caseworker to help someone. You could help your neighbor mm-hmm. and then that person could get services because you could have an extra person advocating for you. And and I feel like we all know somebody like this. I, I give a jug of water every week to my guy because I read uh, uh, an article in the LA Times that said kind of what you did. Ask them what they want. Don't yeah. just give them your weed. Like, <laughs> maybe maybe they, they really want some vegetables. Maybe they... He asked me for some pants the other day. I almost cried. And I was like, what size are you? There's a Goodwill over there. Of course, I'll buy you some pants. Yeah. You know, and but but mostly he's like, a man can always use a jug of water. And so every time I go grocery shopping, I give him a jug of water. And and when I talk to him and I say, you know, you know there's services out there. He's like, I don't want to be told what to do. I'm very happy living in this doorway, even yeah. when it rains. <laughs> and he's been doing it for like 20 years. Um I'd much rather live in this doorway and be awake at the crack of dawn and then be on my way and then be back here when the sun goes down. And these people in this apartment know who I am and they're cool with me. And I don't know how else to help this person because even if we had an apartment across the street for him, I don't think he would use it. Do you find a a bunch of people like this? Is this a, a type? Yeah. I mean, there are people who have figured out how best to live on the street. And so they are safe and they are comfortable in that way. Um, To the point of being told what to do, the service providers who have shelter, right, they want you in at a certain time. Um, If it's an overnight shelter, they want you out at a certain time. The Mm -hmm. same thing with, um, oh, the car one that I'm all of a sudden, why am I blanking on this? I know what it's called. Um, (laughs) Safe parking. Oh. Right. Safe parking. If you have a safe parking location, you can park there from a specific time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that part of it is that we ask adults, we ask adults to revoke their freedom and autonomy for shelter and support. And I wish that we had better structure for that. For shelter, they're not even asking for. Right. <laughs> We're thrusting it on them because we think that's the right thing to do. Yeah. So, so in your perfect world, there's still some people sleeping outside because that's what they want. I mean, we don't get mad at people who who backpack through the Appalachia with tents and backpacks, Mm -hmm. or you know, like we we're mad about local unhoused folks who would rather sleep outside. But there is this culture of being what is hashtag van life right right yes (laughs) that we uplift because it's trendy Mm -hmm. um and so i think that yes there will always be someone who wants something different than what i want Mm -hmm. and how can we accommodate that in a compassionate way right uh there was millions of dollars that the biden administration gave to la that i believe la gave back and this was meant for um, homeless people to to be in hotels or abandoned buildings. Are you familiar with this at all? I'm a little bit familiar with it. And some of it is that the, the restrictions that came with the money, we couldn't accommodate. Oh. And so we couldn't use it in the ways that it was um, 
structured for. Mm-hmm. And so we had to give that money back. Mm-hmm. It seems... It, it, it came with strings. And those strings were, were bad? I don't know if they were bad, but it was just if you couldn't accommodate that, if you couldn't build enough, if you couldn't yeah. um, get that many people, right, mm-hmm. then you couldn't you couldn't spend that money. Are there empty hotels, motels, buildings in your district to be that people oh. could move into? Because I'll tell you, downtown L.A., mm. I pass the standard all the time. It's abandoned. And, and and I look at it and I'm like, okay, well, it's not huge, but you could probably put 200 just women in there. And maybe the bottom floor could be medical and dental and There's many more job training. abandoned lots here than I think empty buildings in this district. But but this but this is oh, but, you're saying here yeah, in CD6. In CD6. Uh, so but what I would think- you do with the abandoned lot? Uh, there's all of this tiny talk. homes are, are you pro tiny homes? I am Oh, man, I'm (laughs) pro-shelter. Isn't that shelter? The tiny homes have their own caveats, too, though. I mean, we call them tiny homes, but many of them, you don't get, like, a key to it yourself. You have to be let in and out of it. Oh, you do? It doesn't come with running water. Like, they have bathrooms on site, but they're not in each individual unit. And so... It is. It's not a home. It's. It is shelter. You don't sound crazy about this. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger spent all that money over by the VA mm-hmm. to give these people. I mean, they do look like tool sheds. They. Uh, they are. And and I hear <laughs> some of KDL's tiny homes flood because they, they didn't put them up right. <laughs> whoever owns the resign. Pallet, whoever owns the pallet company is making a lot of money. All over, not only just in our state, but in many states. I've gone to other, Oregon has them. Um, I've traveled just a little bit. And you can see this very specific pallet, tiny shed all over. And they have made a lot of money. So the regular old pallets that I see in Walmart, those don't work on tiny homes? You need a, a special one? I mean, they're a special company, I think. That's oh, okay. Them. Um, Okay, so it's not that I'm against them. I I will say that I've had clients in the past who were very happy to get off the street and into a tiny home. Oh, good. Because what they wanted was a door to close behind them. Yeah. And the uh t- the tiny home shelters provide meals. They have caseworkers. Mm-hmm. Um. And so for some people, getting off the street to, by any means necessary was what they needed. Some people were happy to go into the congregate shelters, right? I just need to not be on the street anymore. A bed is all I need. Give me a tiny little nightstand to put my stuff in. I'm I'm happy to sleep in a room with 50 other people. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, for me, it's not about like what I need and what I want. What I think should happen is there should be many options. Okay. I actually think that if we had less restriction on some of the project room key sites, that would be my most favorable ones mm-hmm. where people could go into a hotel room that had the same sort of structure as an interim shelter. They gave meals. Um, they had caseworkers on site, but then you not only had a door to close behind you, but you had a bathroom that you could use as well yeah. inside your own space. Crazy idea. I <laughs> But then you think about, you're asking about the abandoned buildings. And so 
it is not just can we move someone off the street tomorrow into an abandoned building, right? Like mm-hmm. that's a whole process to make sure that we turn all the electricity back mm-hmm. on and that you have enough staff member to not only do the food part and the outreach part, but that you've got, I mean, they do security for all of these mm-hmm. and that they have someone to pick up and drop off linen and that they have beds. And they, mm-hmm. like, so an abandoned building comes with a lot more upfront work, I think, than people are trying to do to solve this tomorrow. For sure. But, but I heard some number that it was like $100,000 per tiny room yeah. or, or something like that. And I was like, who's who's making the money there? <laughs> Antoinette, both of us would be rich if we were in that business. Forget the pallets. But $100,000 for a little... Isn't that crazy? It takes a lot of money to get one room. I think I don't think it's $100,000. I feel like it was 10000 to build. 10000 sounds reasonable. To build... That's not the number I heard. A tiny home... I think that was the number I had originally heard is that every one of those tiny homes was like $10,000. Makes sense. But that also, makes sense. they still don't have bathrooms. <laughs> well, then, There's mean, so but- many people, so many people on the street are disabled. And oh. so it is difficult right. to get your body that's been weathered by actual weather, by sleeping on the ground or sleeping in your mm-hmm. car. I mean, have you, have you ever slept in your car more than like one day? Do you know how terrible your body feels? Yeah. And then to think, oh, I need to be able to get from my tiny shed to a bathroom that might be on the other side of this facility. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, So I don't want to make it seem like it's not for everyone or like it's not for anyone. But I will say that living on the street does so much mental and physical damage that I really wish that most of the solutions were as convenient as possible. Mm-hmm. So, so now the president needs to um, consult with you. Fine. <laughs> Work on Project Room Key, which in theory was a great idea, mm-hmm. but it just didn't turn out that way. I mean, I, I only know of one hotel that it was used, and that was the, um, is it the Los Angeles Hotel? The one that um, both Huizar and the Chinese guy were involved with. So I think it was very easy for the city to take that away. Oh, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah, the ones that I'm familiar with, because, you know, so the city is separated into different spas and then into different, like, precincts or whatever. So for me, in the Valley, I only got to work with, like, the Airtel that was here in Van Nuys. Oh, what was the name in Hollywood? Airtel. Yeah, Airtel was How, ma- how many rooms did that have? I have no idea. I have no idea. But they like close the hotel and then take it over mm-hmm. and then like shut everything down. Mm-hmm. Like they don't have phones. Like that was that was the thing that was really funny to me. Is that like they, they take out all the phones. They, what did they think these people were going to do with the phones? I don't know. But that's the thing. Like we. Landline phones. We, we remove the conveniences that everyday people want mm-hmm. and then are mad that unhoused folks have preferences like because <laughs> they're not human to these people right yeah yeah and if we saw 
unhoused neighbors as a neighbor, Mm -hmm. then we wouldn't think, oh, well, I will take out everything. I I will just fire all the staff and we just won't have anything here but security and some outreach workers. And that'll solve the whole problem. Mm -hmm. Um, And so from my perspective as a caseworker, it wasn't so much of like how many beds are there and you know, who's running it. It was sort of like, can I please get this one client off the street today? Usually the answer to that was no. (laughs) There's not space. Um, But a lot of that comes down, a lot of it comes down to who you know and who's willing to move people up and down the um, homelessness management system to get your person off the street. Hmm. Okay, let's wrap up uh, all of this with if you got elected for CD6, mm-hmm. I feel like you would be a, 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 a very different council person than Nuri. Yes. <laughs> what would you say is the biggest difference that you would make compared to her? From what I'm seeing and what I'm learning about other people's thoughts about Nuri, not even just my own, but what other people have got feelings about. Um, I really do think that for me, it's not about power. My understanding and what I've seen with Nuri and what she cared about and how she wanted things done was to make sure that she could shut everybody else out of the power structure and build her legacy which continued the legacy of the people before her. And, you know, she's probably got people whose legacy she wanted to continue herself. And for me, coming in, it is not about that. I think people forget, too, this appointment, like this winning city council, would just be two years, Mm -hmm. right? So it is not an average six-year appointment. It is not... Um, the ability to restructure everything that you could, it is to fix this mess. Because you're finishing her term. I'm finishing her term, Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's two years, and then somebody else, or maybe even any, there'll be a whole nother election for 2024. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for me coming in, my biggest goal is to provide that culture of care and compassion. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you think that because this is an abbreviated term, that's the reason why a lot of these groups haven't um, put their seal of approval on you or anybody else? Yes. And also, I think what I keep being told, which is hilarious to me, is that people don't know me. Mm hmm. But it's not that I'm anonymous. It's not that you can't Google me and see the work I've done in the past 10 years. Um, And I think with like all LA politics, people want to know how they'll be able to interact with you and whether you'll stay true to your message. Mm -hmm. 
Well, l- let me ask you about two different groups. Mm-hmm. Here I say I'm going to wrap up, and of course I don't. <laughs> and we're really wrapping up with politics. We're going to talk about Vanites in a minute. Okay. There's the DSA, and there's the People City Council. The P- uh, Richie has been on this podcast. Okay. Special two-hour episode, because he and I, we can talk. <laughs> and he was great. But, okay, is there somebody more to the left of you who's running for this position? Not in the least. Then why are they dragging their feet? I mean, did you did you see the LA Times article of, no, we're not in the valley. We don't know who's over there. We, you know, we don't organize in that part of the it, city. It seemed, it seemed like not them saying these things. They don't care. People, People City Council is punk rock. That's why I like them. <laughs> they don't give a crap, right? Right. And and they were way against Nuri. They were, so does that mean they're on, they only care about the valley when they're against something? I mean, leftists are are a strange bunch, right? We will we will dismantle our own systems to make sure that the people we don't want in office get in office. True. I think that some of it. I think that some of it really is not wanting to bogart something, but I, I really think that they missed the opportunity to organize during this time period by deciding to stay out of it. And I, and I will say what I expected to happen mm-hmm. as someone who's been following politics and the organizing for a little bit is I expected to be like, hey, I'm going to raise my hand as this radical abolitionist leftist. Mm-hmm. The rest of y'all are going to get behind me and make sure that we accomplish this task together. Mm-hmm. And I was I was dumbstruck. I was heartbroken. I was like sad to find out that, hey, I'm not the one they want. Right. And I, it could be anything. I think some of it, I think some of it's racism. No. No? I mean. No. I think some of it's patriarchy. I mean. Right. What, what could it be? What could be different about me yes. than any other well, okay. leftist person that's run for office as an abolitionist or mm-hmm. as a radical in the past? I don't know. Six to eight months. So maybe racism in the fact that maybe they want a Latino to represent a majority Latino. Maybe. Is that what you're thinking? No, that was not what I was thinking. But (laughs) (laughs) let me put it this way. As a black woman, it is hard to determine whether anything around me is racism or something else. Yes. And so looking at the way that things are playing out, and it's not that I want to call people out or anything, but like looking at what's going on and people who are stepping back and who are deciding not to organize with and around me, mm-hmm. how can I tell the difference? Well, also, if you're a political activist group, get out there, make a choice. What, like, what is their fear? Well, okay. Let's get back to DSA. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it seems like they do have a lot of fear. I, I feel like they are different than people city council. They are very different. So yeah. I was I was in DSA. Mm-hmm. I joined DSA in 2020, um, and I did not renew my membership at the end of this year, 2022. <laughs> um, I mean, I came into DSA very specifically to join the Afro caucus that had been already there. 
I wanted to organize with more like-minded people. And the longer I stayed in, the more excuses came up as to why we couldn't organize for and around black and brown people. Crazy. Completely dismantled their Afro caucus because of their own anti-blackness. Mm. And then, and this will like clear up the record about my involvement of, of the DSA electoral politics piece. You have to get a certain number of DSA members to sign on to whether DSA should endorse you. Mm-hmm. As a Valley member, we don't have that many folks. Mm. And so I couldn't accomplish the number of people that you needed to sign on to actually go through the DSA endorsement process. Mm-hmm. Now, before all of that, they still had all of this anti-blackness. And I mean, you've seen DSA make comments about not even caring about the Valley who cares what their races are because nobody important lives over there anyway. So DSA has done a lot individually. I won't say it's the whole collective, but individually members have done a lot to push many of us out of those spaces. Yeah. Um, and so I, I was not surprised that I didn't right. get a lot of support from the DSA piece. And it maybe it was a blessing in disguise because it doesn't seem like you're aligned with them any longer. I think I'm more radical than some of them are, but yeah. I mean, that's kind of how it is. Then, then let's let's take one. F- we can end with this. <laughs> I don't like the phrase "defund the police." Okay, but I but I I agree with what's underneath it, which is moving the money from. I mean, you don't need eight million dollars a day to be police in LA. No, you don't need to pay these people what they're being paid to do what they do and have these results. You could give that money to people who are actually good at their jobs, especially when it comes to things that the cops aren't very good at. I mean, not everybody's great at everything. Right. You know, Babe Ruth struck out a lot. So maybe <laughs> maybe he doesn't get to bat when there's a strikeout pitcher on the, on the mound, right? Right. And so when there's a homeless situation or a domestic issue, maybe not bring the man with the gun. Right. Right? Right. So... Hugo kind of ran under defund the police. I don't think that you're doing that, are you? I'm not calling it defund the police. Mm-hmm. I'm very explicit as an abolitionist. And people are like, what What do we do with that? Um, especially because the message that we've put on everything is to bring care to the valley. So I show up in places and I've got my protest t-shirt on and I've got the hair and uh, the flower in my hair. You, you got a, da- uh, is that a daisy? I've got, it's is that a Gerber? Sunflower. 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 <laughs> I mean, I love sunflowers. Very all cute. Things. And so people didn't know how to reconcile abolition, which is taking money from police and getting rid of police force. Mm-hmm. And then putting that money into services and resources. Right. And so that's the conversation that I've been having. I don't say defund the police. I don't say any of the other phrases that we used mm-hmm. <laughs> to acknowledge the police. I don't know what kind of PG or I don't know what kind of rating you've got on your, your thing. Right. Fuck like it. Say whatever you want. So I mean, <laughs> so here's part of it, right? Like I don't go around going defund the police or fuck the police or right. fuck 12. Like that's not the language I use mm-hmm. because for me is actually less about what the police are doing and more about building up the structures that will support all of us. Mm -hmm. And so when I talk about myself as an abolitionist, it is from a care perspective model. 
And I think that when people actually learn that abolition is far back as slavery, wasn't just to stop slavery, but to move the idea of capitalism away from harming people's bodies into a different system, then we can look at, well, why don't we do it this way now, right? This is to remove the structure of capitalism and oppression from the bodies of black and brown folks into a different structure to help more people. I love it. I love it. You sound like a politician when you say things like that. Hate to break it to you. Also, hate to break it to you. (laughs) Politicians are rarely poor after a little while. Yeah. So you may get that house you think that you may not ever have. I mean, well, I would love to be able to um, take, again, take some of that money and support people. I think that's a much better... You're such a I hippie. Like my, I am. God bless you. <laughs> I love my little apartment, actually. Let's move over to Van Nuys. I am an Uber driver by day oh. to support this podcast. And it has worked out perfectly. Really? Because it allows me to drive everywhere in LA and talk to the people. And so just this morning, I drove a, a young teacher who's about to be a teacher um, to her place not that far from here. And I said, if you were going to make a postcard about Van Nuys, who would be on it? What would be on it? And she couldn't think of a thing. (laughs) And again, that's another reason I'm doing this podcast is because the Valley, in my belief, even though it's as big as San Diego, Mm -hmm. uh, doesn't have the greatest PR, doesn't have traditional landmarks. There's not like a, a giant tower with a disco ball on top of it. No. You know? It, even Santa Monica's pier has that cute little pier sign that you can put on a postcard. Yeah. But there's really nothing in the valley that's like that, which is okay. We have to be more subtle with why we, we like things. So what are some of the more subtle things about Van Nuys that you like? I like how much more walkable places are in some parts of the city. Right? So from where I am, I can walk across the street and like go to a little 99 cent store or go to there's, there's usually street vendors. And so I can walk a block up to Van Owen and get, you know, food or drinks or whatever. I can I'm in biking distance to a lot of the places I like to what? eat. What? You have a bicycle? I do have a bicycle. You can't see it from where you're sitting. But I'm I obsessed have, with, with people having bicycles. I actually have a a tiered freestanding bicycle holder <laughs> a rack. It's a bicycle rack. Do your children ride bicycles? My children do not ride. It's not safe here. It's <laughs> <laughs> I only want to ride bicycles on the bike paths, but you know, mm-hmm. I will ride it in the street. Even in the I valley, it's not safe. No, I wish it were safer. Is that fixable? It is fixable. Good. If we had more bike lanes, if we had more 
um, protected bike lanes. Yeah. If we built, so I am quite literally across the street from the Woodley Orange Line station, which means I'm across the street from the bike uh, path. Mm-hmm. And if we had more of those, like parallel to the same Victory Boulevard, just like farther north and then farther south, yeah, I think that would be amazing. Mm-hmm. I think it'd be great. Um, But one way to get more bike lanes, and it's already in the mobility plan. I talk about it a couple of times here and there. Um, But they will pay, they will paint a bike lane when they repave a road. Oh. And the city council people just have to ask for it. So you have to be aware of it first to know to ask for it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But it's, it's, the city has a whole mobility plan to upgrade the transit and their bike lanes. Mm -hmm. Um, And most of the time it doesn't get done because people don't ask for it. Weird. Yeah. Nuri never asked for it? I, I mean, Nuri didn't ask for a lot of things. <laughs> We're burying her. I know. Which is fine. This is what happens. She didn't, she didn't want it. She, didn't. she wanted other things. She wanted and, you're, and you're right about power. She became the city council president. What does that mean? You wanted the power. Yeah. The current guy pretends that he didn't want to be the president either. He didn't say no. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 always about power. And, it, and I say that as someone who, who feels really icky about it, but I will say that, you know, in these situations, being able to distribute power, if you have that leadership and you say, okay, I'm the city council president, how can I make this leadership role uh, work best for constituents and work best for everyone? I think that that is an okay thing. I always get this really icky feeling watching the city council president yell at activists in the back of the room. Like, oh, they're the constituents. And for decades, the city council and the, the media complained that Angelinos weren't being involved in city government. Now you have them. And the LA Times is calling them idiot protesters the the both the city attorney and the council president are kicking them out, calling them names, looking down to them. It's a in many ways. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a case of like, yes, we want your input. No, not like that. Yeah, not like that, and not you. Yeah. If the, if those were old ladies, or sometimes they are. I love it <laughs> when it's the old white ladies who come with white people for Black Lives, and they're shaking their freaking. <laughs> pennies and quarters into water bottles yes. i love that we'll get to black lives matter in just a okay. minute <laughs> give me one more thing about van Nuys that you love oh you know what i love and i think this is just a, as a person who didn't grow up here because mm-hmm. other people don't notice it i love that every time i'm in my car i'm on my bike whatever i can see the mountains yes. so i grew up growing up in florida right everything is super flat um <laughs> and it doesn't matter where i am going I get to see mountains the moment I leave my apartment. And I just, I'm that person who's in the car on the, on the 101 that's like, oh, the mountains today, right? Like, oh, it's so clear. Or, oh, I can't see the mountains. It's too cloudy. Or cloudy. it's green. Or there's snow up there. Yes. I'm the same way. Every day. And I think of the valley, um, really, the, the imagery of like the, you know, the mountains in the background with the sunset and like, the, the hills and stuff. I, that's what I think of mm-hmm. as valley life. So I don't know. I love the mountains. What's your favorite uh, food spot? Mm. Yours, not the kids. 
Because I know moms kind of put themselves in the back seat for the kids. Well, we go to this pizza place. Forget the pizza place. What do you love? There's a Thai place down the street. <laughs> I really like. <laughs> what do you order when you order Thai? Oh, my God. I almost always order chicken fried rice. <laughs> What's wrong with that? I just It's a very... Chicken fried rice at the Thai place? I know. That's, see? That is the But maybe response. it's good. Is it... It, it, it is must... so good. It is so good. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about Black Lives... We, we can wrap it up with Black Lives Matter. For a little while, it was great. People were in the street. There were mostly not even black people. Mm-hmm. I see it in people's windows. Growing up in, in an all-white suburb of Illinois like I did, never dreamed of anything like that. Never dreamed of Obama as my president either. Or Michelle as my, my first lady. Like, all of that was kind of a dream, a beautiful dream. And then this Black Lives Matter thing showed up, which also I never expected. Yeah. And then the police just got meaner. <laughs> Here they are talking. Poor Colin Kaepernick lost his job. Peacefully protesting. Blackballed out of the NBA, or NFL. And the, the cops just got uglier and meaner. Even yeah. the L.A. cops got uglier and meaner. L.A. cops, the LAPD is one of the most dangerous police forces in the country. Because they brutalize their suspects. Yes. Right. Um. Is there anything the city council can do about that if you became the city council person? About police in general? Yeah. Or Is there anything I mean, you can do? I mean, I, for me, I've, I've declared that I wouldn't vote to increase the police budget. Um, you have stated that you would not increase. I have stated that I would vote no if there was a budget increase. Whether that stops them from increasing the budget when you have one or two people voting no. Mm-hmm. But Okay, but who... But, I lose nothing. But to, again, you know. we have Nithya now. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, my man Hugo. Uh, Unisys. Yeah. So maybe it's not just one person who'd be voting. But are those three solid on that side? I, mean, I thought Nithya Nith- wasn't. Oh, right. I know. I, I was so sad. And there's a poster that. of her next to Bernie. I was actually really sad about that. Um, well, okay. What what do you think happened there? What happened in Ithia? I I think that she had to accommodate to the job that she got hired to do. So so the rich Los Feliz people said, but we like cops, and she couldn't say they. How's seven million a day? <laughs> <laughs> it's still seven million a day, baby. I mean, I I I try not to. I try not to be like, this is how people should do their jobs. The thought I had with Nithya is that she could have voted no, and it still would have passed. They still would have increased the police budget, and maybe she loses nothing because it would have been the values she said that she has. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I know that as my one voice, I might not change everything, but for for me, it would be a values-based thing to say, this is not something I believe in, and everybody else might vote for it, right? You might get 14 other people that vote yes to increase the police budget, but for me, that's not my values, and so I wouldn't. Um, it's not your values because they have enough money as it is? I mean, it's it's not... It's, it, it, no, it's not my values because I don't want there to be more police. 
Mm-hmm. And so I would because because they're dangerous and they kill people, <laughs> and they are bad at their jobs. <laughs> I mean, they all don't. Police or just these police? All police. Mm-hmm. I mean, they only solve what one to two percent of crimes anyway. Is there a big city where the police are good at their jobs? I have no idea. I haven't seen it. I haven't heard of it. And I keep hearing that police have like half the budget of most major cities. Right. And again, Mayor Bass, who we probably both voted for. Yes. Yes. Fell into that same trap. Do you think that the, that it is it's a, it's a quicksand for politicians? It's first of all, I think it's very easy to just rubber stamp the police, and I think it's lazy. If I'm to judge it, I mean, I think it's really easy because it's how we do business. Um, and I think that one of the things that we kind of think about, I mean, like LA is one of the largest cities, if not the largest city, right? Um, but we don't have to do a thing because cities do it. Mm-hmm. So, the, the, and this kind of goes back to like the abolitionist principle of like, you can do the, the community thing that works best for you. And then you can let another community do whatever works best for them. Yeah. So yes, I would say to dismantle the police in Los Angeles specifically, if there's some city in the middle of nowhere that like their police are only helping grandmas cross the street, mm-hmm. right? Like fine, you keep paying them whatever they're making. Mayberry and Springfield. <laughs> Right? Fine. But like Chief Wiggins, but you it, keep doing your thing. <laughs> but for LA, LA specifically, like we our police force is dangerous and is used in a way to get people in trouble simply because that's what they have, right? Mm-hmm. People call the police. I was telling someone about this yesterday. People call the police when they're inconvenienced and they are frustrated. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, I know the police will come with the gun and they will listen to you, even though I personally could just say, please stop that. <laughs> right? Like, no, I'm going to call the armed guard to come and stop you from this inconvenience. Mm-hmm. And so when we have a whole society that relies on simply just getting other people in trouble, we should remove some of their funding. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you follow uh, Film the Police LA on Twitter? My I man, do. My man, William? I do. Okay. I, when I say I follow people on Twitter, I'm on it occasionally where I'm like, oh, yeah, I totally agree with that. That's good. Yeah. Good. Well, the reason I ask is he films the police. Yes. <laughs> and it seems to, and obviously he can't be at every stop, but he's at a lot of stops and he films it. There seems to still be an issue with, handcuffing young black suspects in Hollywood. And sadly, we only have one William. <laughs> but I would imagine if there was another William on Victory over here, it was it would probably look th- similar. I told a white woman yesterday that we need more white women cop watchers. There you go. That's what we need. Why? Because... White women, police, police. Karens. Karen. You want Karens out there? I don't want Karens. I don't want them to escalate. <laughs> you don't want them to call the police on the police? I want them <laughs> to be able to stand there with their phone out. Yeah. And occasionally, like, ask, you know, why are you arresting this person? Why are you standing there? Right? I want, I want a calm and collected white woman somewhere between the ages of 35 and 50 to stand and watch the police. Um, 
I mean, be it in her reading glasses and like her sun hat. Like I, I want there to be a police officer who's like, I'm sorry, ma'am, I can't talk to you right now. Who's right. just like frustrated, but enough to say, okay, I don't actually have a reason to stop this person. This woman is, is filming me. She's going to put it on the internet, right? Like <laughs> I, I think that that will do so much more good. An army of Karens. Yes. Maybe we'll call them Kathy's. <laughs> yeah, what is the name for <laughs> for the ones who are, for the ones who are on our team, right? Right, who wanted who want to actually help? Yeah. Okay. So, why do you think they treat black men like this? Do you think that they're afraid of young black men with their hip hop music and their cool sneakers? I think they can get away with it. I, I think that's the that, one group they could get away with. I think that they can get away with it, and I think that, um, I think it's ingrained that police are there to stop crime, and crime is young black folks. That's what I think. I mean, this goes back to, um, goodness, what was it? Was it Miami Dade? It was some Florida police department that was using mug shots as shooting gallery photos. <laughs> Right? Like, you, you do this training, and you're like, oh, here are all the bad people, and they just, I don't know, happen to be black folks. Don't worry. Like, it's just a coincidence. And so, then when they're on the street, mm-hmm. they see every black person as a threat. And I did a little bit, when I was in high school, which is not the best story, but when I was in high school, <laughs> I was c- convinced... Some, uh, a police officer, a school resource officer convinced me that doing police explorers would be good for my future. And so I did a little bit of that. And so I know that police are trained to very much think that everyone else is a threat, mm-hmm. right? A traffic stop is the scariest thing you can do, or a crime scene is the scariest thing you can do. What if they're still in the closet, right? Like, so there's all of this, <laughs> they are trained that everybody around them is going to attack and kill them. Yeah. And and for me, the thing that catalyzed this for me, I was already doing racial justice work and, and really paying attention, but like Philando Castile's murder was the one where I was like, you can't tell me that we're doing this right. He was the one sitting in the passenger seat. Sitting in the passenger in, seat. In, in Minnesota? Minnesota. Had, he was a teacher. Had, was it? I think he like worked at a school. Worked I don't know if he was very right. specific a teacher. Worked at a school. Said explicitly, "I have a gun license. I have a gun in the car. Do you want me to show it to you?" Child in the back seat. Child in the back seat. Philando Castile and I are born the same year. Mm. Um, his daughter is the same age as one of my daughters, and that that incident. And I remember being on Twitter at that time, right in the middle of the night. Uh, parent up with a you know small child being up and looking on twitter as they go oh my god the police have killed another person and then like learning more and more about this person as the day goes on and i just i like stopped driving in los angeles because at that moment i was like he did everything he could have and he was killed and if my child could be hurt just from sitting in the same car with me i don't need to be in a car ever again um and so when I think about defunding the police or, or just making it so that they're not everywhere, that's what I think of. I think of how many more people can be saved if the police 
only did the scariest things that police can do. Get them out of homelessness, get them out of mental health, get them out of traffic stops. Um, Stop giving people jaywalking tickets, like just stop cruising around the city looking for trouble, because that is when we get hurt. And so, yeah, that's my Antoinette, a dark way to end, but maybe the perfect way to end. Best of luck to you on uh, April 4th. Mm-hmm. Who's your biggest competition? Who do you oh, think is man. leading the pack, if, you, if not you? If not me. There are, there are three candidates who have a lot of money. A oh, lot that's of money. The other thing I, I need to ask you Establishment. About this. You're not uh, taking big money from people. No. I'm not taking big money from Do you think people. that's smart? Do I think it's smart? I think that... Did Obama take big money? Again, it's a, it's a values thing. Well, so if you take big money, yep. then you have to be beholden to that person or that corporation, that organization when you're in office. Yep. And if you're asking why the public safety committee is going to vote on a police <laughs> robot dog when everybody who called said no, it's because they took money... From the police. Every single person said no. Yeah. Almost every single person. And by the way, I, I'm so sorry I'm interrupting you. No. But, but, but that was <laughs> such an interesting vote. Because then like two weeks later, up in um, Lincoln uh, Heights, there was that man in a, a carport. And they bring out two two existing ro- robots that they have. <laughs> One of them that sprays gas on the guy. He just happens to die. Hmm. Did he shoot himself? I don't know. Maybe. Or did the gas do it? So they already have killer robots. They do. So, and, and drones everywhere and the largest helicopter fleet. And it, it, like, so, but all of this is to say, I'm not taking corporate money because I want to be able to work for the constituents. Great. I don't want to be beholden to the corporations who say, well, oh, we, we gave you an election. Now you have to vote yes on what we want. Have other city council winners followed this path? Did Nithya not take money? I don't know. I don't know either. I don't, I don't think remember. Hugo, I don't think Hugo did. That sounds like a thing Hugo would say. Like he probably wouldn't take corporate money. Yeah. It, yeah. Okay. So if it works, it works, right? There's some other front runners who are also taking corporate money. And again, I am someone's particular candidate. And who is that someone? The person who wants change from the outside. The person who wants a, at the beginning of this, we were calling it like a policy driven outsider, right? Like somebody who's not a part of the establishment, someone who cares deeply about the constituents in the city and someone who's not working their way up through a political career. This is not a stepping stone for me. I'm not looking to be mayor or assemblywoman or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) This for me is really about about creating a culture of racial justice, equity, and compassion. And so that's what I, that's why I'm running for office. Much better way to end. Thank you, Antoinette. <laughs> Thank you so much. How great was Antoinette? You know who we'd move away from Florida for? <laughs> Our Patreons. When you stoke us, you're saying, Tony, Jordan, thank you so much for showing us all these cool people. Here's a pickup truck of money. Mm, thank you. So shout out to our Patreons, Nancy Rommelman, Sean Atlow, Matt Mills, Sean Wallace, Greg and Molly, Jamie Taylor, Mark Johnson, Kira Ann, Barney Granke, 
Ben Welsh, Jen Adams, Trevor Wilson, Bree Wild, who's recovering from a cold, feel better, Dougie Gyro, Christina Up North, Robin Carey, Adam Shorn, Ben from Down Under, Chris from the ATX, and our newest Patreon, Gregor. To be a Patreon, just go to patreon.com slash here in LA and give till it hurts. Also, shout out to our Angelinos. To be an Angelino, all you got to do is PayPal or Venmo, 25 bucks or more, and we will list you on the Here in LA website or Medium blog forever. Just send your hard-earned cash to busblog at gmail.com. Want to support us, but you just gave all your spare cash to the politician of your choice? You can still help. Post your favorite episode on your Facebook. Go crazy and post too. You know, in 2023, I yearn for a day that somebody posts two of their favorite episodes in the same day on their Facebook. That's my little goal. I'm pinning it to my wall next to where my bicycle should be. Pin. Tweet something nice about this. In fact, anytime you see me tweet about an episode, retweet it. And for God's sake, tell your friends. Tell them how Here in L.A. is spelled, and then it's on Apple Podcasts and Google and even Spotify. Here in L.A. is produced by myself, Tony Pierce, and a man who is the mayor of Funk Street, Jordan Katz. Editing, mixing, and music supervision by Jordan Katz. Songs by Orgone and Jordan Katz. Special thanks to Cindy for creating the logo, Jen for inspiring this, and public servants who truly want to do the public's work instead of grasping for as much power as they can have. Thank you for all you do.